All right, Tron, go catch that bird. <laughs> Let's open with a word of prayer. Let's see if Jeff has a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that the bird would disappear. For those who are at home, there's a bird pecking on the window. It's been pecking for three years and six months. No, it pecked all last year. It's back again to harass us. Father God, we thank you so much for this time together, Lord. And um, I ask that you would be with us, be present with us, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us this morning. Lord, as we come to study the nature of prayer and uh, what you have to teach us. Lord, we're only going to crack the surface this morning in this Lenten series on the different disciplines the different spiritual disciplines, Father God, but I ask that this important discipline of prayer, that you would help us to think about it, that you would help us to learn from it, that you would help us to make this discipline our own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, Nikki Gumbel, in How and Why Should I Pray on the Alpha Evangelism series, writes this. However much he may want to, I do not believe God will answer the prayer of the student who turned his test in and prayed, Oh God, please let Paris be the capital of England. So we all have ridiculous prayers at some point in our lives. We all want something to come true that will not come true. We've all had prayers that we have prayed that haven't come true, that we really did want to come true, that weren't answered. And so we fervently prayed as Christians that these things would come true, and God didn't answer them the way that we wanted them to. Now, I've seen over time where Christians have prayed these prayers, and they've decided because God didn't answer it, God must not be there. God must not be real. And and other times, people have decided, well, what is the nature of prayer? What, what is it really? And they've kind of struggled with this. They don't really know how to ask God or how or why they should ask God. Military personnel are fond of saying there are no atheists in foxholes. And when the dust settles and life is good, do you find yourself praying or knowing how pray. I think we learn a lot about ourselves when life is good. Are you the kind of person who prays all the time when things are going well, or do you forget about God? Now, some people do pray when things are going well, and there are the other kinds of people who don't pray when things are going poorly. When things are going poorly, we forget about God. We look and we blame him, and we go our merry way, and we look to anyone else. We run to friends, we run to family, we run to counselors, anything but turning to God. But my main point here is that the period of life when you're least likely to pray tells you as much about what you really believe about prayer as those times when you're most likely to turn to prayer. For some, prayer is a rote thing that we do on Sundays in the liturgy. It's about beauty and proper English or proper Latin and repetition and all the tradition and the trappings that come along with it. When I grew up in the Episcopal Church, I was in a very solid church, a very strong church. It was thousands and thousands of members. 
was in Fairfax County, and I grew up in that church. And then I, I went out into the world as a youth minister. I was very excited about the Episcopal Church. And the first church I went to was really struggling. It was half people who believed in the Bible and half people who rejected the Bible. And I often wondered why in the world did the other half ever come to church? They didn't believe in it. They didn't believe in anything about it. So why say the prayers? Well, it turned out it was just tradition. They didn't believe that any of these prayers actually mattered, but they liked the poetry and the beauty as I would interview them and talk to them about it. For some prayers, about gaining favors and blessings. It's about health and wealth. And so when you pray, you must believe and God will give you what you want. And if he doesn't give you what you want, it's because you've got a particular sin in your life or you don't have enough faith. For some, it's strictly about asking for others and never for oneself. The church I grew up in, not the first one, but the second one, sorry, when I served in the youth minister, the, a lot of Christians I would find would think this way. I don't need to pray for myself. I can only pray for others because praying for myself is selfish. While others pray for themselves, but only in times of dire need. We're all over the map on prayer. What is it? How do we do it? Why do we do it? When do we do it? Now, this is a massive, massive topic, prayer is. And we're not going to cover it all today. But I do want to look at some important things. There's see several key components about prayer this morning. That's what we're going to do in our two passages. So first, Luke 6, 12 to 13. In these days, Jesus, that's what we mentioned, he goes out to the mountain to pray. Pay attention. So he goes up to a mountain to pray. That's because you're closer to God in the mountains, right? We all know God's up there not around here. And so that's probably why he went. That we can all agree. And he continued in prayer to God. And when he came, he, uh, when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them the 12 whom he named apostles. Now, he doesn't really go on the mountain because he's closer to God. He goes in the mountain to get away, right? He wants to get away from everybody else. And the place where he goes is kind of the wilderness. There's no town up there. The towns are down below. They're near the water, right? When he goes up to the mountain, nobody really wants to live on a mountain. Now we want to live on mountains because we have cars. We can drive up there. We get away. Pretty cool. We have a great view. But nobody wants to live on a mountain in the old days because where is the water? Way down there. Nobody wants to climb all the way down, get the water, and bring it all the way back up because that's exactly what you had to do. It's a long journey. Living took a lot of effort back then. And so he goes up on the mountain to pray. Our gospel points out a critical component of prayer and one that's offered and looked by believers. Jesus is the Son of God. He's fully God, and he's fully man, as we read in Scripture. After he comes to the earth, this is what happens. Philippians 2, 7. He empties himself by taking the form of servant and being born in the likeness of men. That's what we kind of studied at Christmas. But Jesus, in order to become human, whatever he was as God, the God stuff that he had, when he becomes human, he gives up some of that. He is not um, in the same form as the Father. He is fully God and he's fully man, but he gives up some of the power. He doesn't have the omniscience, the all-knowingness of God. He gives it up. That's what Philippians says. And so when he's in human form, he has to act like we act. 
He has to function like we function. And so his way of communicating to the Father is through prayer, just like we do. And he prays in the Spirit, just like we pray in the Spirit. It's no accident that his ministry starts after the baptism of John. Now, that's not like our baptism, by the way. That's, that's a later baptism. Bad, baptism of John is a cleansing baptism. But at the baptism of John, the Holy Spirit falls. And so Jesus now is filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit, if you read from then on, especially in Luke and Acts, but it's in the other Gospels as well, the Spirit leads him, guides him, directs him. So when you come to Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you are now united with God and other believers. Gerhardus Voss, one of my favorite theologians, um, a theologian that is worth reading. It's not Christianity 101, though. He's like a 401 guy. Uh, so he's tough to read. But he says this. The Holy Spirit is the atmosphere which we all breathe. When we take communion, we're celebrating our link with God, our union with God, and communion with one another. The Holy Spirit is that atmosphere in which we breathe. Right? Well, Jesus is the first one to receive the Holy Spirit within him in this fashion as a human. Right? And so he has this Holy Spirit. And so when he goes on the mountain to pray, he prays with the Holy Spirit within him. He communicates with God through the Spirit, and God communicates with him through the Holy Spirit, just like we are called to do. We are called to pray to God in the Holy Spirit, or under the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Romans 8. 26 to 27, if you think I'm talking crazy. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what, the mind of the, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what's he saying here? Jesus communicates to God while on earth via prayer. Prayer, most simply put, is communicating with God. Now, I would say speaking with God, but this is a mistake. We don't just speak with God. We communicate in our mind, in our hearts. We interact with God. So I would say communicating with God is a better way. When I was at RTS, I had a lot of evangelicals. And they, would, and, and, and they would always uh, misunderstand what charismatics meant, because charismatics would talk, oh, the Lord spoke to me, and I spoke to God. God doesn't speak to you. Why? He's not a human being. He has no lips. He's not you. He created us. He doesn't have these things. He communicates to you in a different fashion. We don't often understand that. But he communicates to us differently. He communicates to us, the Bible says, through the Spirit. He communicates to us in a lot of ways, through church, through the Bible, through, uh, through situations. But he communicates to us through the Spirit, who also does not have lips. But we don't always use our voice when we speak to God either, so we can understand that. So we can pray out loud with our voices. We can write out our prayers. We can pray in our minds. We can meditate and reach a deeper state of prayer. 
We can pray alone in a group. We can pray liturgically or extemporaneously, meaning pray as we think it. Right? And people all have versions of what we pray. Right? When I was at seminary, I, some of my guys, I was with uh, Presbyterians and Baptists and Anglicans, and we would always debate of different things. And, you know, my Presbyterian friends would say, oh, well, you can't have, and Baptist friends, you, we can't pray liturgically. We've got to pray extemporaneously. And I would say, oh, really? I noticed when you prayed, you prayed a prayer that you wrote out that week. Well, yeah, of course, we have to. We've got to think it through and pray as we're front. Isn't that liturgy? Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> so we pray in different ways. We pray as a group. Different possible ways to pray. The important part is you mean it, right? We think about it and we pray. All of these ways are different ways of praying. Have you ever prayed the Psalms? Have you ever prayed through the Bible? We pray a passage, we make it our own, and we pray it out loud. Liturgical prayer. Uh, in the Bible, most, uh, many of the Psalms were said liturgically. We prayed them and we meant them. That's where we get liturgy from, right? We, we understand that. But they also prayed extemporaneously. We read that too, meaning on our own. So you should pray both ways. They're both good. You should write out your prayers sometimes. You should pray in your mind sometimes. We pray all different ways. You should pray standing up, kneeling down, sitting down, lying down. Pray in the morning. Pray in the evening. Pray in the afternoon. Pray in the middle of the night. The Bible says to pray on Sundays in church only. You find that in Hezekiah 5, chapter 3, right? Hezekiah is my favorite book. You should look it up. It's one of the favorites. I quote it all the time to my kids when they were growing up. Hezekiah says, do your chores. Hezekiah says, father is always right. Hezekiah says, the remote control belongs to your dad. I quote that to my wife all the time. Hezekiah says, you should give me the remote control. For those of you frantically online looking up for Hezekiah, you will not find it. <laughs> I don't want you looking through the whole service. I can't find Hezekiah. <laughs> this prayer that we pray is helped by the Holy Spirit, who helps interpret <clears throat> what we are praying, which why our prayers need not be things of beauty. We don't need to pray with thou's and dies and ists and oasts and oosts. We don't need to pray long flowing prayers. We need to pray simply and to God. He understands what you're thinking. If you want to pray flowery, okay. Please don't do it in a group. Please don't try to pray in impressive fashions in a group. And here's why. Because you may have new Christians sitting by you and you will intimidate them and they won't pray. They'll think, man, this person is so awesome, I can't pray like that, I shouldn't pray out loud. <clears throat> That's why you don't hear me praying in a group like that. He understands what we mean. And the Spirit will give us the answers. In other words, communication with God is a two-way street. We communicate, and God communicates back through a variety of means. But <clears throat> one of those means is via the Holy Spirit, who communicates directly to us. In Romans 8, 14, For all who are led by the Spirit 
are the sons of God. And this makes sense. If you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then it makes sense that God communicates with you. This is shocking to some people. When I was at seminary with some of the more hardcore evangelicals, the ones who believe that God only spoke to you through the Bible called illumination, through the sermon and through the Bible, they would believe, wow, we want to protect ourselves from kind of subjectivity because some Christians will say in the extreme camp, the Lord told me to tell you X, and they would expect you, that's a way of manipulation, by the way, the Lord told me to tell you a thing, and they would kind of manipulate you in that fashion. And people were worried about that, and they're like, well, how can we know if the Lord told me or told you to tell me, and that's right? Well, you would go home and pray, and if the Lord doesn't tell you that thing, they're probably wrong, okay? However, well, mostly. As I said, probably. You probably need to pray with some other folks, right? The Lord told me to tell you not to cheat on your wife, and you go home and you pray. I didn't get that. I should be cheating on my wife. Probably you're wrong, okay? I don't, I don't want to just, like, categorically say that's wrong, okay? Because people, we can justify all kinds of things. However, <clears throat> they were trying to protect themselves. But it makes sense. If God is within you and the Holy Spirit is within you, and the Bible says he leads us, this is all the way through, God does interact. The God of the universe can communicate with us. Not audibly, it does happen sometimes, but not audibly, he leads us internally. We would call it this uh, another way of leading called tacit knowledge. But he would guide us or direct us, lead us. We need to learn to listen to that. I call listen to hear that voice. We need to learn to discern it. Millions and millions and millions and millions of Christians throughout history have learned to discern this. You have to detect that leading from your own leading. It takes time. We have to learn to hear the shepherd's voice and discern the shepherd's voice from our own desires. But we learn to hear that voice. <clears throat> when Jesus goes to pray, he goes to communicate with God, just like you and I are called to communicate with God. He models for us how and why we are called to pray. The Lord's Prayer gives us a particular form of prayer. But our gospel passage shows us what Jesus actually did. Jesus took prayer very seriously. Before he made big decisions, he went to pray on it. He went to pray on the mountain. And in short, he went out to nature away from distractions. You can't pray in front of your TV. You can, but you won't do very well. Right? How many of you have tried to pray watching TV? Lord, I would like to... Oh, that's, that's great. I want you to... I mean, except when you're praying for your football team. Please make this kick. And God, I can tell you, doesn't answer those very well. I've been a Redskins and a Hokies fan for a long time. My prayers are hardly ever answered. He goes out to nature, away from distractions. And this is one of the reasons churches go on retreats, to get away from distractions so that the body can focus on spiritual things. But in Jesus' case, he's by himself. He's getting away from everything so that he can focus on God alone. There's nothing else but God and Jesus. So when you're in need of deep prayer at a crossroads in life, or before a big decision, before you're about to start a new thing, you need to take time to pray. Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying not only for them and who he's called to pick, but he's probably praying for them and their ministries. He's praying for their calling. He's praying serious prayers. Now, he's not just speaking the whole time. He's probably speaking and walking and thinking and listening to the Lord. 
and then he's praying some more. See, what happens when you begin to pray like that is you begin to peel back the onion. My Bible studies hear me talk about this all the time. I'll ask a question, and they'll answer it with usually a very simple answer. And then I'll wait and ask it again. And they'll be like, oh. And then they'll have to answer deeper. And then I'll ask it again. And then I'll be like, ow, oh, this hurts. But eventually... My Bible studies, as the John Bible studies learning, begin to unpack it deeper and deeper, and this thing becomes second nature to them. They look at the passage, and they begin to go, oh, and they boom, 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 boom. They've learned how to peel the onion. And they come to a passage, and they no longer see the surface. They begin to say, oh, yeah, do, 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 oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, this is connected here, and that's connected there, and this is connected there, and that's connected there. This and 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 oh, you begun to think. Your spirit is awakened, your mind is awakened, your soul is awakened. The Bible becomes exciting. No longer do I skim across the surface. This thing is deep. It's like the God of the universe is talking to me. Whoa! Prayer is like that too. Prayer is like that too. We start out with five minutes of prayer. Why? Because we don't think the God of the universe is speaking and we don't know how to do it. It's like riding a bike. We don't quite know how to do it. It's kind of boring. I can't really kind of get it. But eventually we learn and we learn and we learn and we learn how to be a mountain biker or a cycler. We learn how to ride down and jump and leap and hop from rock to rock. And eventually if you're really good, you go down crazy mountains and you're riding on the edge of cliffs and you're jumping and jumping and wheelies and flying over things. Advanced prayer. Have you gotten there? There's awesome things that are available when you start to unpack prayer. Peel back the onion. And that's what Jesus does. Now James gives us a deeper explanation. James 5:13 to 15. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Do you pray when you're suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. When things are going well, do you pray? I know a lot of people who pray when they're suffering. I also know when the suffering ends, la -di -da -di -da -di -da, they go their way. I know that because when things are going hard, they might show up at church. And when things are going well, I don't see them until the next time things are going poorly. Other people are the reverse. As soon as things get tough, Oh, God, why do you do this? You're so mean to me. God is only there in the good. If he's in the bad, I don't understand. If he's sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Here, James gives us a broad list of what to pray for and who we have to pray for, and who to have pray for you. In this case, he says there's a certain reason we have people pray for us in certain situations. There are various times that we are called to pray. Pray when you're suffering, folks. Have people pray for you when you're suffering. Don't suffer on your own. Don't think that God doesn't want you to pray. He's commanded you here, pray when you're suffering. He wants to hear your concerns. It's not self-centered. 
have other people pray for you. We are a body. We share in suffering. If you're not going to share with others when you're suffering, other people won't feel free to share with you. And when you're a mature saint in the Lord, you need to be sharing to teach others how to share. If you won't do it, you have failed in your duty to younger believers. You need to teach them how to do it. And then share in your blessings as well. The Lord has blessed me, not in a bragging way. The Lord has blessed me with beauty. That's a bragging way. The Lord has blessed me. He has answered this prayer. I have prayed, and the Lord has blessed me. That is what he's doing. When you're sick, we call the elders of the church. Not just once. We might come repeatedly for prayer. We might have hands laid on us. We don't just... I prayed once, and it didn't work, so I'm done. God is just not faithful. Have that happen all the time. Now, look, I have prayed for people on their deathbeds, and they have been healed and walked out. Never saw them again. God's done his duty. I'm not interested in church. I have prayed for people, and miraculous things have happened. I've also prayed for people, and that prayers haven't been answered. We need to understand that God has his ways. Look, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Did you know that Lazarus still died? We still, we're not always saved from our illness. Sometimes the illness is there for a reason. Sometimes you're called to die. Sometimes suffering is called to happen. Things happen. How do I know that this isn't always the will of God to be healed? Remember, This passage is troubling for people who have a fundamentalist view of Scripture, meaning that the passage can have only one meaning. Fundamentalists can have a wide range of meanings, and I'm using it in the Christian sense, not the secular meanings, Christian bashing, understanding of the word sense. Fundamentalists only look at one meaning, and they cannot see what the speaker, that the speaker could have much, if any, nuance. So, for instance, in John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So if you ask for anything in Jesus' name, it must be done to them. Or if you ask for money or a big house in Jesus' name, it should be given to you. And if it isn't, then you must lack faith or God isn't real. These are the answers that a fundamentalist, a Christian fundamentalist, would conclude. Now, a German liberal would conclude something very different. A German liberal, well, I used it for the Christian liberal, would say that the Bible is just man's interpretation of God, and so he would just wave it all away. A German liberal, then, is free to make up their own religion. But scripturally, it's important to understand that we're dealing with God. This isn't a children's book. And so God understands suffering, right? He knows suffering. Jesus prayed that suffering might be taken from him, and he says, yet not my will, but yours. And the suffering still comes. Understand that. Jesus himself, who said, the former... If you pray in my name, it will be taken away. Praise that the suffering would be taken away, and it still comes. Wait a minute, but Jesus said that? It must be true. It must be. But he also said that. Well, then Jesus is a liar. Hmm, or does he have nuance? Is there something else that he means?
Paul prays for many people to be healed than they are. And he performs more miracles than he counts. But he's also beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, and executed for his faith. So God doesn't always answer our healing prayers or suffering prayers in the way we wish. I want my migraines to go away. I want my photophobia to go away. And they haven't. Do I lack faith? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded for the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God will answer our prayers, but he will not always give us the answers we want, because God... Or our faith is not about being three. When we're three, we always want the answers we want. Right? When I'm three, I want to demand something, and I want what I want, and I want it now. But our faith is not about being three-year-olds. We are called to be mature in the faith. And suffering is a path that often Christians are called to. Suffering was the path of Jesus. Suffering was the path of the disciples. Suffering was the path of Paul. He understood that. At times, healing will come, and we pray for it. It isn't always the case. God will answer your prayers, but not always in the way you want. And you need to be able to listen to what God is calling and saying. God, what are you calling? What are you saying? Why is this here? We pray for healing. It may not always be there. We pray for X. He may give us Y. We need to be able to discern the voice of God. And that's why I'm saying learn to listen. We're called to be mature in Christ Jesus. And that means learning to be more and more like Jesus. It's a tough thing in this day and age. Learn to listen to him. Learn to become like him. 